are listening to the Elephant in the Room podcast with your host, Sutta Singh. Each week, we will bring you a diverse range of inspiring speakers on issues of inequality and inequity. You will hear stories about fairness, justice, belonging, and about best practice for creating a more inclusive workplace. So, if you are an individual or leader interested in a fairer, equitable, compassionate society and workplace, this podcast is for you. My guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast this week is Samantha Indivalana, Senior Researcher at the World Benchmarking Alliance, where she curates a list of the world's 2,000 most influential companies for achieving the SDGs. Good morning, Samantha. Thank you for being a guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast today. Good morning, Suda. It's uh, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's just get started with the questions. Give us a quick introduction to who you are and what you do at the WBA. Yes, gladly. So I work as a senior researcher and company engagement lead at the WBA. My focuses are digital inclusion, and that's looking at some of the world's most uh, influential tech companies, how well or maybe not so well they're doing in terms of making sure technology is ethical, fair, safe, sustainable for everyone. My other focus is the SDG 2000, and we'll speak a bit about that today. And that is the universe of companies that we look at at the WBA. So managing that list, putting it together, and just making sure it's representative of an ever-changing world. How critical is the private sector to meeting the SDGs? We are now in the decade of reporting so to speak. And there are not too many years before we get to 2030. Oh, I would say uh, they're quite pivotal. So if the central promise of the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, around which the Sustainable Development Goals are planned, if the central promise of that is to leave no one behind, then one of the ways we get there is by leaving no company behind. So companies uh, are quite pivotal and not just the companies that we might be used to everyday companies or products, but also companies that are quite big, or quite influential, whose name you might not know or might not have heard of. Just because a company is always in the news or is popular doesn't mean that these are the only companies that are pivotal to meeting the SDGs. And how does the WBA define the list of 2000 most influential companies that are to be assessed. You've mentioned that it is important to make a choice not to leave any of the big companies or any of the influential companies behind. Is there a bias towards companies based in the global north because we are more familiar with their reputation, their size, their products and what they do? That is a really great point. So to answer the first part, how we go about finding these influential companies, what we call the world's most influential companies, is first we take a transformational approach. So we look at the world and we break it down into seven system transformations, such as social, nature, digital, financial. And these transformations look at what we need to do 
to transform the world, to drive the world towards achieving the 2030 agenda and meeting the sustainable development goals. So once we have those transformations and we looked at the industries that were pivotal to influencing those transformations, either in a positive or in a negative way. And then once we had that list of industries, we then dove deeper into the companies. And to do this, we had an approach which looks at whether companies dominate global production. We tried to have a look at their supply chain, their influence on global governance and institutions. These are just a few of the things we would look at. But something we found when we were looking at available information, because one of the big things about us is we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're quite happy to lean on existing knowledge and existing expertise. But one of the things we found was just by taking an approach where you look at the biggest companies, if you would equate influence with revenue or number of employees as pure markers of how big these companies are, then you would start to look at a majority of companies from the global north and from China. And so we saw this happening and it became clear to us how important it is to make sure that the list is as broad, diverse and as balanced as we can make it. Because while these companies and these regions, the United States, China, Europe, while these regions, these countries are quite important, they aren't the only ones in the world. And if we want the list to look at the global influence of companies so that we're leaving no one behind, we needed to take active steps to make sure that we're including companies, not just from the global north, also the global south. And when we say global south, not just the big players like China. So you've answered a part of the question that I was going to ask next, which is, do we equate size with influence? And is that why there is less representation from the global south? Yes. So often size is equated with uh, influence, as I had just mentioned. But we find that influence can be thought of in other ways, not just the pure markers of size like revenue or employees. Um, and one of the ways you can start to see the influence of companies is the number of people they impact. If you start to look at their supply chains and see where those connections lead to. So a company could be based in one country, say South Africa or India, but their roots, if we could call them that, spread around the world. And that's one way of thinking of the influence of companies. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know from having lived and worked in India that state-owned entities, as well as family businesses, some of the most influential businesses in that particular geography, but also I believe across other geographies also. So clearly from the SDG perspective, they are critical and they need to be engaged with. How do you ensure that you include them in the conversation? That's a really important point. And as you say, it's not just in India. From my experience in South Africa, Uganda, and in other countries as well, we see the importance of family-owned businesses. We see the importance of small to medium-sized businesses, not just the big companies on influencing change within that country or within that region. Making sure that we're reaching out to these companies is 
is quite important and is something we prioritize at the WBA. We do this via company engagement. So if companies are being assessed in the benchmarks, we have different events such as webinars, trainings to reach out to the companies to discuss the SDGs, the World Benchmarking Alliance, our approach with them. We also partner with governments. So any governments that are having events where these companies might be involved, that's one of the ways we're able to make connections with the companies to bring them along this journey. But One of the most important ways we do this is through our alliance. So at the World Benchmarking Alliance, we believe in a collaborative approach and the allies play a very important part in this. They're global. They are big organizations and institutions such as GRI, uh, that's quite big in the reporting space. But we also have a lot of more local focused organizations and NGOs, and we rely on them to make sure that we're taking into account different local perspectives and that we're connecting with these family-owned businesses or more regional or country-focused businesses that might not be at these big international events. Okay, that's very interesting to know. So, you know, I was doing some background reading before putting together the questions and I read this American PE firm report and other reports also and data that indicate that emerging markets have a longer runway and steeper slope for SDG improvement. Would you agree with that statement? Yes, I would to a certain extent. So if we look at the findings from some of our benchmarks, we see that on average, companies from developed countries have stronger performance than those from developing countries. And so that's one way of looking at it. But we also understand that there are a lot of things happening in the background. For example, developing countries might have other focuses or priorities than developed countries just in the very nature of the issues that they are facing and the stage of development that they're at. So levels of poverty, poor healthcare outcomes, low levels of unemployment, those might be things that companies are focused on. And so they might have programs around these issues to try and help address these problems within their country. And even though some of those might fall within social, the S of ESG, they might not necessarily think of them as ESG related projects. That's very true. Would you say that the sustainability information gap in emerging markets is a big challenge? There has been a lot of progress in the past decade, but there is still much to be done. What are your thoughts? Yes, definitely. It's a big challenge and it's starting to take off a bit if we keep thinking about the longer runway and the steeper slope. But as I said before, one of the things creating this longer runway and steeper slope is that the focus might be elsewhere. And in some cases, the laws, the policies, the regulations aren't in place. And we find that having these laws, policies, regulations in place goes a long way to influence company behavior because the parameters, the guidelines are already there about what information you should share. And the incentives are also there about what information you should share. If you don't have that guidance, it is still very possible to share information to counter that in sustainability information gap, but it does make it a bit more difficult. Okay. So, you know, linked to what we've been talking about, 
not just the private sector, but large state-owned entities and family-owned multinationals still require access to international capital markets to fuel the growth or innovation. However, companies from developing markets generally receive limited funding to support SDG-focused investments, even though they have in-depth knowledge of the situation in the countries in which they operate, you know, what is going to work on the ground. With the rising demand for ESG compliance, is this an opportunity where the investors and funding organizations start taking that into consideration, that they can be a good way to go about meeting our goals? Yes, definitely. So I think that when new legislation comes into play, there are two ways of thinking about it or seeing it. So some companies might see that and understand that there are more requirements on how they might disclose or different levels that they need to meet. And they might be a bit scared, intimidated. They might think that this is an extra burden or perhaps a waste of their time. So instead of thinking of it as a burden, if you think of it as an opportunity, this is an opportunity to align with international standards, international disclosure, such that they can make their efforts, all the work that they might already be doing around ESG more visible to investors, and that will help them generate investment and also make it more visible to other stakeholders who might want to support in other ways. Yeah, that is so true. So it's a bit about the journey. It is a bit about the information gap. It is about then being proactive and adopting some of the reporting requirements so that investors are more confident about investing or putting in their money in those markets. Yes, so, exactly. so I just want to clarify this, that are companies from developing countries less sustainable or is it a measurement issue? Or is it where they are on their journey? I would think it's more a measurement issue and where they are on their journey. So I guess it's quite common to see these uh, images of uh, factories in a developing country that are producing whatever sort of product or chemical and you see them uh, shooting smog into the air rivers are polluted and it just goes on and on and on and while that might take place that's not necessarily the standard that's not how all cities or all areas in developing countries look. I can speak from the South African perspective and say that there are companies that are green, that are sustainable, that are looking at things like solar energy, for example. And I'm sure from the Indian perspective, you can name a lot of examples as well. So it's not that these companies or these areas are inherently less sustainable. I would say that part of it is a measurement issue because they are focused on different issues than some companies in developed countries. Their programs or efforts towards sustainability might not be exactly the same. But if you are focused on health issues such as tuberculosis 
or the HIV AIDS pandemic, that is also social work. That's also sustainable development work. It just might not fit into the standard ESG reporting disclosure approach. So these are the types of things we need to take into account. I was just thinking about that. It's also perhaps what we measure them on and because their parameters may be different from what the parameters for developed countries or companies in developed countries are slightly different and you're still moving on the path but what your priorities are different and I think that understanding possibly also needs to be made across the world not just for developing country but across the world on how we frame Not just our measurement questions, but the narrative, like you said, when you talk about developing countries and you have these images of smoke spewing out of a factory or a river that is like really dirty and that becomes the narrative that is stuck. So we probably need to progress from there. We're on our last question. Why is achieving (laughs) SDGs very, very critical for emerging markets? as we progress towards 2030 and beyond? Well, I guess first off, it's the idea that we don't want to leave anyone behind. So when we say we want a sustainable world, we want a safe world, we should also be thinking in terms of inclusivity, an equal world. And that means that progress happening in developed countries exclusively isn't what we should be aiming for. We should also be considering that developing countries have progress to make. They have a role to play in driving the world towards a more sustainable future. And another reason why achieving the SDGs is quite important in emerging markets is the vulnerability, the unique vulnerability that these markets, these countries face in terms of the climate crisis. For example, we see that developing countries are particularly vulnerable to the negative effects of climate change, such as natural disasters, excessive heat, like we've seen over the past few months. The news coverage has focused on America, the US and Europe, but high levels of heat were uh, seen in Africa, were seen in Asia as well. And these might be areas where people can't just go to the shops and buy an aircon and install it in their homes or buy extra water. There are unique challenges and vulnerabilities there that we need to understand, respect and take into account. So I just want to ask an additional question. What is it that motivates you about this work that you do? It's not very easy, right? But what is it that motivates you and drives your interest? Yeah, as you said, it's uh, not always easy. It can be easy sometimes to read the news about uh, what's happening in terms of people facing issues related to the climate crisis or people being taken advantage of in some or other way, human rights issues, all of these different things that feed into ESG or sustainability work. But One of the things that keeps me motivated or inspired is 
when I think about my background, the place that I come from. So I am half South African and half Ugandan. And when I think of my connection to these two countries, my family in these two countries, I think it's particularly important that they aren't left behind or forgotten just because they might not be representation in some of these global or more international events. I think of my grandparents, I think of people that look like me, people that look like you, and we want to make sure that the world is a better, safer, more sustainable place for all of us. So when I start to get a bit despondent, (laughs) I take a break. And I remember the things that inspired me to get working in this field in the first place. And that helps me continue. That's such a beautiful response to the question. Thank you, Samantha, for making time for this very, very essential conversation. It is so important for us to understand how are you defining the biggest companies? Who are these biggest companies? Where do they come from? And why do we choose? And how do we ensure that? We just don't look at big in terms of revenues, as you said, or geographic spread. And sometimes it could be very big in India and very influential in India or in South Africa or in Uganda. We need to consider those also. So thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us this week on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs and events. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday for new episodes.